Welcome back to the Practice Makes Faithful podcast. Uh, uh, once again, I'm joined here by our lead pastor, Grace Chapel, Paul. Good morning. And by Rob Shaver, our discipleship minister. Hello, hello. And we are excited today to be diving in, continuing to dive into this series that we've been on called Back on Track. We're in the third part of that series, but it's actually our seventh episode of Practice Makes Faithful altogether. So we are, we're excited to continue this conversation. Quite a holy number as yeah. well, number seven. Yeah, it is. So yeah, expect probably going to be things. a really good episode, yeah. <laughs> no pressure, If Rob. there was ever yeah. an episode that you accidentally said Practice Makes Perfect... And this should have been it. But <laughs> well done, touche. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. a it's a high call out of this episode. Right. Practice makes faithful. All right. So this series is all about dis- making disciples, and specifically been looking at the church in Corinth and what the Apostle Paul wrote to them in this letter in the first century. So. Rob, with that in mind, would you kind of like give us a little bit of an update of what we've been talking about? Give us, uh, fill us in, give us a snapshot of where we've been in this series for anyone who may be tuning in for the first time. Uh, just give us a little bit of a recap on where we're at. When, when you think of the letter to the first Corinthians, when you think of the Corinthian church, they are often categorized as kind of just being messy and messed up. And, and with that, in mind, then you read through the text, and for me at least, a lot of times that's what just jumps out is like mm-hmm. the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the answer. Here's the solution. Here's the, how it's addressed. Uh, but when you kind of step back and look at uh, the bigger picture of the text, to me, what what really jumped out was uh, some stuff early on, and then midway through in, in chapter ten, where and and the end of nine and the end of ten where Paul really is saying to them, like, look, this is my example to you, is that everything that I'm doing is about bringing glory to God. And the, and the way that I'm doing that is I make myself a servant to everybody so that I might win some. Yeah. And, and this kind of being, this being the guiding force for them, like, really, this is what it's all about. You've got all these issues, and here's how we can clean those things up specifically. But in a bigger, grander picture, you have these issues because you're focused on glorifying yourself instead of glorifying God. Mm-hmm. And in, in, your, in your making disciples even, that's, that's more of a self-glorifying effort rather than uh, like a, a self-dying effort, uh, which was how Paul was trying to go about it. And so a lot of this in the early text here, which is where we have been for... The, uh, the, the last couple of weeks is that reminder is kind of, is Paul saying, hey, remember when I was with you, remember the gospel that I preached, remember the way that I was, uh, the way that we interacted and kind of calling on those things uh, to prompt them uh, before he gets into the arguments of the, of the individual things. So we see it at the end and then uh, as a prompting of, hey, remember, this is what this is what I taught you. This is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Glorifying God making disciples yeah I think, I think that's really interesting especially like what you've kind of brought out in this series that, that likely the issue that they had at court or a problem they didn't have is that they weren't growing you know I mean it, I don't think that that was their issue I think you're right I don't think they had the problem that they weren't making disciples that they weren't trying to bring more people to be a part of the church but it was just that 
their church was kind of a sloppy dysfunction at times and that the way that they were making disciples was just in a very unhealthy way. Like you said, a very uh, us-centered thing instead of a God-centered thing, um, not necessarily an other-centered thing. And I think that's been so good for us to, to look at. You know, even as you pointed out, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1, Paul saying, follow me as I follow the example of Christ and just this reality that if we aren't making disciples of Jesus, then we're really, we're off mission. So if it's not mm-hmm. Jesus, that's the focus of what we're doing. We're off mission. So uh, so with that as a backdrop, uh, give us a basic overview of what you shared this weekend, and then maybe we can try to get a little bit more granular once we have that framework in place. Yeah, we, we live in a world, too, that, so this would go back two weeks ago, where that is such a temptation in the church, right? Because there's so much competition out there as far as, what people are paying attention to mm-hmm. and so instead of saying hey we're a church and we promote jesus christ it's very tempting to get shot off into all of these other issues right and and to be attractive to people because look, oh look what we did with this and, and not that that's evil but when that becomes the main thing yeah ahead of christ then then it's easy for you to stay off track so that was two weeks ago kind of saying uh, one side of this coin was you know like one way that we go off is by trying to be impressive to people. And so what we looked at this this week in this lesson was it's also which people are you trying to impress? Yeah. And 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 for for them there's the reminder of it says, you know, remember that when you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were impressive or or wealthy or of noble birth. And and so Paul's kind of framing this to, to them, remember who you were when you were called. Mm-hmm. You were not that special. I feel like there's a good implication then that when they were trying to impress these Jews and Greeks, it wasn't, I mean, that's everybody. Like, I mean, that's how they categorized the whole world. You were either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And, and so it wasn't just about trying to impress people, but specific people, probably the same people that he's calling out, the wealthy, those of noble birth, those who were wise, uh, and mm-hmm. and so the people in your society that were the haves, and you know the the people with power and authority, were all kind of naturally drawn to want to impress them. No, yeah. You know, nobody walks down the street and you see like a homeless person. You say, I really want to impress that homeless person. Yeah, <laughs> and so we can. So I think it's very that that was definitely going on in Corinth. It's so easy for us to relate. So that's what we talked about. Yeah. I think yesterday the way that you put it that I thought was, I mean, it really, really kind of hit me was when you talked about, you know, as church leaders, we sometimes have even this framework for who we hope makes up our audience, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, so so we try to be impressive, but then we also want impressive people mm-hmm. in our audience. And boy, that, uh, that was really convicting for me and really just a great kind of, a, you know, kind of a paradigm flip. Uh, to think about it that way. So I, I really appreciated the way you framed that. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And I think it's really evident that as we're looking through Scripture that God has a lot to say about caring for those who are less fortunate, but mm-hmm. caring for the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized people, we might refer to that as. And uh, so as we kind of dive a little bit further into that, into what that looks like, I guess I just wonder, who, who are those people? Who are the marginalized in our life? And maybe even just define what that word means. And Paul, you might give a stab at that. Like this definition of marginalized people is often language that we're using today around that. And then kind of who are those in our own lives? 
early in the lesson I made reference to the parable of the great banquet and in that Jesus is talking about you know just this this king who's who's mm-hmm. created this great meal for people to come to the servants go out at first and get all kinds of excuses back and and so the king says well hey invite even more people and then go go even and even invite the lame and, and the blind and the poor and so they go and get those those people as well because that's his main motivation he wants the room to be filled I think that can be specific especially in those times mm-hmm. the, those yeah. certain categories that are called out the the poor and the blind and the lame that that they would have been people in that day that definitely were marginalized and probably all those categories still fit today yeah. mm-hmm. but it's fair it's also symbolic of a lot of different things and I, I, I like what you said Paul about like who do we who do we want to do church with you know especially yeah. when it comes to that right and I know that was my situation six or seven years ago I was sitting in my living room and with a group of eight or nine people and we were starting a church and when I looked out to who my neighbors were uh, I there was a lot of people on my block that couldn't speak English uh, that didn't have uh, didn't yet even have a high school education or even their maturity level yeah. was lower than than high school level and so when you're thinking about okay we're starting this church we're trying to get this thing off the ground these people that in my mind I made this judgment like they are going to be they're going to take my time they're going to like they're going right. to suck that they're going to suck the life out of the church what we first need is we need people that we can really build with and so when we started we did not approach those people we we were we went out of our neighborhood and, and just different activities that we were involved in personally uh, like playing sports outside of uh, the neighborhood going to the library which was in the neighborhood but people from the outskirts would come in for some of the programs and we would meet people that were past the poverty level and more in, into the middle class level and and we were trying to connect with those people and we did events around we did events at the zoo and at the art museum and that was a certain type of people that we were trying to reach and we got a lot of excuses and it was uh it was mm-hmm. reading through as a small group this parable of the great banquet that opened my eyes to what I had been doing mm-hmm. And, and so we just changed and said, you know, like, okay, we tried for a couple months. For the people that we really wanted to do church with, now let's just try to connect with the people that God's putting in our lives. And that was the poor, and it was the uneducated, and it was the foreigners. And the next couple of years of our lives completely changed. And we heard a lot less excuses. Uh-huh. And a lot more people interested in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that's typical, but yeah. just to, to go back that. to the, the question about who are the marginalized, and we can, we can say that categorically and, and draw lines, but really it comes down to, for me, that was who was I marginalizing? Like who was I yeah. pushing to the margins? And who was I prejudging to say, not even that if they would be interested in Jesus or not, but do I even want them to be? Which is... I mean, it's it's sad to yeah. even say that. I mean, that was yeah. really yeah. How, what was going on in my brain. I, and I felt completely justified in it, in the situation I was in. And I love that you share that, 
Rob, because I think I think we've all been in similar situations. I mean, I can think of that in leading a small group. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes it's easier in leading your small group. of You want your friends in there, the people that you're close to. And sometimes it's easier to not reach out to people that are outside of your own social group, right. outside of these people that are, these are my own close friends, and now we're going to reach out to those who maybe I've marginalized, maybe around the yeah. sidelines. Mm-hmm. And that's been a learning experience for me. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah. I get that. If they're gonna, if they're gonna be, so maybe this is a good definition. If they're gonna be needy, mm-hmm. if they're gonna be disruptive, mm-hmm. right, like that, then right. we don't. Uh, or, or if they're gonna make us feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Like they, I mean, I, the, <laughs> those three things. I, I wouldn't. If you said define marginalized, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have said that. But when you personalize it, those yeah. are the people that we are pushing to the margins. That, that we don't yeah. really want to, I don't want to be around people that make me feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Or that are always needy or they're, they're disruptive. And like, we, okay, we've got a good thing here, like in the small group situation, you know, like if this person comes in, I feel like they're going to mess it up. Yeah. So let's not invite them in. Yeah, I think too, what you just said is kind of what has been bouncing around in, in my mind as I, uh, as I think about this conversation about the marginalized. And certainly we can acknowledge this in Jesus' day. You just used the phrase, push to the margins. You know, in Jesus' day, those who were on the margins were there because they had been pushed to the margins. They were mm-hmm. truly outcast in a sense. You know, so they were intentionally kept at arm's length, not just by individuals, but by society and it was almost acted as though that that was proper. Hmm. That was the right way to do this. You know, so these people were on the margins because potentially they had done something wrong in their mind. You know, I mean, uh, the idea of the man who was born blind, even, you know, who sent this man or his parents, somebody had to be at fault here. So we are now justified in keeping this man at arm's length because he was born blind, he's an outcast. You know, beggars at the city gates, well, they could stay at the city gates, but they were kept there in a sense, you know, here's where you can be. You can't be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You can't come inside this circle. Uh, you know, people who were unclean. And certainly there was something to that, uh, both spiritually and physically, to the idea of being unclean. And there was a ceremonial un- uncleanness that I think was right within the practice of Judaism. But then there was a, a whole type of societal uncleanness that emerged as a second ring of what it meant to, meant to be unclean. And now meant that I can distance myself from you mm-hmm. because you're not okay here. And so, you know, even uh, lepers were very much kept not just at arm's length. They had to be kept, uh, you know, they could be within the range that you could hear them, but they couldn't come any closer than that, mm-hmm. really. You know, and so you have this whole uh, society set up where, um, where people were pushed to the margins. And we might look back and say, well, that's something that happened then. Um, and it is interesting because sometimes you hear the language when we hear about marginalization, you hear about it talked about in, in two ways. One, you hear some people talk about people who just exist on the margins of society. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are these people that just exist on the margins of society. And I think there can be truth in that, but we also have to acknowledge the other side of it too, that there are people that are sometimes who find themselves on the margins because they have been pushed to the margins. Mm -hmm. They have been absolutely kept at arm's length. It's not, you know, uh, we often want to put it just like with, with, uh, you know, with like the man born blind, we want to be like those folks who say, well, what, what did he do or his parents do 
so that he was in this place. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. whose fault is it? Well, it's it's his <laughs> fault that he's there, his parents' fault that he's there. But I think sometimes in asking the whose fault is it question, and I'm not res- removing responsibility uh, in that. I think certainly sometimes people who exist on the margins, they have worked to put themselves on the margins to some degree, or maybe that's where they actually choose to live. I got it, and, and that can be fair. Mm-hmm. But we need to be, you know, when we're talking about ourselves, we need to ask this question uh, of ourselves. Are there times where I use the question of blame to justify someone's existence or push my own pushing of them to the margin? So I think that's good for us to kind of flesh out this idea of what it really looks like or what it means to be uh, marginalized in society. And I'm sure our listeners are thinking about uh, a bunch of different ways that that plays out. But I'd like to, you know, Rob, I know you've got a, a counseling background, and so you think about human behavior. Uh, you know, I do too, and so I enjoy thinking about that. So I think this would be a really good question to try to to, to think through, work through just a little bit. And we were kind of in our, our, our show prep, we were talking through this a little bit. And I th- so I think this will be productive to to work through this a little bit further. So here's, here's a question, and it's really a two-part question. So first okay. it's this. So why do you think so many of us are naturally inclined to avoid people who live on the margins of society or maybe even keep them intentionally at arm's length? And then the second question, which really does go along with it, why do you think Jesus was so drawn to those who lived on the margins and then why is it so important that we would be as well? So if you want to deal with those one at a time, we can come back and rephrase them again. But the first question, why do you think we're so naturally inclined to avoid people on the margins of society? And maybe kind of going back through your comment that, that led up to that, I think sheds a lot of light on it. So, And I think of two of the most well-known parables that we know. And, and so one is that we, we do attach judgment. We, when somebody is on the outskirts, you know, when they're in the margins, right, we often kind of, we attach that with some, there's something wrong with them, right? Yeah. And so that yeah. goes, yeah. I, so I think of the prodigal son, and, and that's such a, one of the, one of the elders uh, in Utica taught, did a lesson on this a couple of years ago, and it just, it was just one of those simple truths from the text that you hear it and you're like, well, yeah, that's true. Why did I never see that? But mm-hmm. he was pointing out that the text never says, like, that when he's in there, like, feeding the pigs, that it was his fault. Like, that it was because he had squandered all his wealth. Like, did he, did he go off? Like, did he do the wrong thing by taking the inheritance? Sure. Like, did he do the wrong thing by going off and spending all the money? Yeah. But why was he in that bind? Because there was a famine throughout the land. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if the famine had not come, then maybe that guy never gets in a spot so desperate where he, mm-hmm. he comes mm-hmm. home. Yet we read that and we we read about this natural disaster type of thing that's going on in in the whole land. And yet we look at him and we're like, you you did this. You deserve this. Certainly he did things. But but we tend to not look at all the circumstantial evidence and just look at the individual and what they did. So that's that's one thing is we, we are just naturally judgmental. Second thing, we are naturally, well, I guess... Um, we're immoralfish, right? Like we are imma- we tend to be immature and selfish and, and worldly. But so the other parable is the Good Samaritan. And, and what do we know? It's like 
So there's two people that walk by. There's this guy dead, well, not dead, almost dead, beaten, and on the side of the road. And the first two people that, that walk by him are a priest and a Levite. So a lot of the speculation is at least one of them, or maybe both of them, they don't want to take the chance. If this guy is, in fact, dead, then they would be right, unclean. unclean. And then then that's just work, right? Like, that's if he's not dead, that's work because you're going to have to help him. If he is dead, that's work because now you're going to have to go through all the whatever you have to go through so you're not unclean anymore. And, and so that kind of self-preservation in us, I think that causes us to want to avoid something. If somebody looks like they're going to need help, do I really, like how far down is that rabbit hole going to go? Yeah. Right. And, and we tend to think of that yeah. um, and get scared by it. So I don't even, I don't even want to offer a little bit of help because, because the, of the potential that that might mean many days of my life giving, giving over to this person. Jesus was, was different. I think Jesus was different because he was mature and he was, had died to himself already. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those are big things. But, but really, you know, and he had this, he had this eternal worldview and and just saw things in a different way. He understood what his life was about. Uh, not that he would be served, but that he would serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I think even people in the church who claim to be mature Christians, that's that's a struggle. We, we still want to, to be served, or to, at least to serve ourselves. Uh, and not be a servant all. It's a really, really good point, Rob. And I love, I love what you brought out um, that uh, that interpretation of the story of the prodigal son. Um, and I really think I think that sheds a lot of light on that first question for me when I'm thinking of why why I tend to avoid people who are marginalized in society. And it's so easy that I think in our own culture we're so individualistic minded mm-hmm. that it's so easy that when we drive by you see the person living in homelessness who's asking for money and we think that well it's just a result of their actions they made a lot of bad decisions I made better decisions so mm-hmm. eh, not too worried <laughs> about that um, and that person probably made some bad decisions that person also probably had a lot of bad life circumstances that right. were out of their control so it is a little bit more complex than that but I know just some of the worst moments that are just the most Disgusting in my own heart when I look at that is just seeing these moments where I've had that sense of of arrogance of just thinking that I'm a little better than that person because I made some better choices (laughs) than he did, and it's so it's so easy to fall into that. I think sometimes we avoid those people because sometimes it's just an attitude of arrogance that I'm I'm better. I made better choices, Mm -hmm. so. They made their bed. They need to lie in it now. And that is obviously a very un-Christ-like attitude, but I've seen it in my own heart of that pop up. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a main, it's a drive at times. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I bring up one more and, and, and maybe get you to speak into this one some? Um, and I know we've had conversations about this before too, so I don't think it'll catch you off guard. But, you know, as I've talked with a lot of people um, you hear from folks, I helped that way before and I was burned. 
mm. and I'm afraid to put myself in that situation again. Yeah. And so they were burned, and there's some hurt that goes along with that. So that's a little, maybe sometimes a little bit more more gracious uh, interpretation of why we might not help. I think I think your your first two are spot on. I think there are there are those of us. You know, I, I can remember. Um, I can remember a time we were invested in, in this ministry that we were part of in, in West Virginia. Uh, we, we were engaged with a, a project in the community and we uh, would go and bring Christmas gifts to these kids, mm-hmm. you know, and this was quite some time ago, so I'm going to age myself in this and that, you know, uh, flat screen televisions were, were a brand new thing, plasma TVs were a brand new thing. And so, you know, my wife and I, who were, you know, she was working to get through college. Uh, we were struggling, you know, very, very low income setting for ourselves at that point in time, but we had enough. And so we were able to, uh, with some of the other folks in the, the church, uh, go together to buy some Christmas presents to take and deliver. Uh, this year we were delivering, normally we actually had them come to us, uh, but we were going and delivering these, uh, these Christmas presents to these kids. Um, and I remember the door coming open to one of these um, you know, uh, one of these residences in this this housing project, and seeing my first ever flat screen TV on somebody's wall, and, and thinking, you know, I mean, I'd heard of them, but it was the first time I'd ever seen one, and I remember mm-hmm. thinking, how in the world, you know? But then coming home and being calloused a little bit too, because we had spent yeah. money, and we didn't have loads of money at that. Right. Like I said, so I think I was working, Lori was doing some part time stuff, but going to school at the same time, so we were. You know, we bounce checks every now and then. Let's just put it that way. Um, and so, you know, I remember really struggling after that for a while, and and having a hard time getting back to the place where I would work through that callus. I know you've worked in. You know, I mean, you, you came here from Utica, working in a setting like that, yep. living in a setting like that for a time. So I don't know. Maybe you would have some thoughts for for those of us who feel like we've been burned before, but but we want to. Our our heart wants to. Be, we want our hearts to be in the right place. Right. Right. That's good. A little bit. Like if if you're only listening to us and not watching this on YouTube, what you know, Paul actually just opened a little can of worms, and they're. <laughs> They're running on no, the table I, right now. Because that squiggling. Yeah, that is. I mean, we, we could we could just talk for hours and hours about that, right? Like, I mean, and in re, in the last ten years, there's a couple of books that have been written. Like one is called Toxic Charity, and I think one is like helping without hurting mm-hmm. yeah, when helping yeah. hurts when yeah, helping when hurts, hurts. Thanks, yeah. thanks. Yeah. and and they're both really really well done those but but looking at that and and I think that's one of the problems is that sometimes when we when we try to we want to help and we want to be the good person yeah but the way that we go about it is is not that great so I think that's you know so here you know that that could very easily be done and a, a lot of churches do it you know like oh we want to help people we want to help the poor so uh, you know and that's a you see churches a lot do that kind of thing it's Christmas let's give the kids Christmas gifts well right. huh did those people ask for that you know like are they saying right. this is what we really need maybe some of them are uh, you know but so yeah, so true. when we kind of when we from from our perch, you know, where we kind of look down and say, okay, here's what you need, here's what you need, or, or this, it's not even that sometimes, it's not even this is what you need, this is, this is what I will give you so I feel good about myself. I'm not saying that that's yeah. what you and Lori did point. those years ago, but I think then that creates, that creates a, 
disjointed kind of relationship mm-hmm. with people yeah. and really where the church becomes the giver and the poor person becomes the receiver and and then where where we are a priesthood of all believers if that person would ever mm-hmm. come to the church through the generosity of the church it is very very rare that those people ever really feel like they're on the same level mm. they don't ever really feel like they are a part of the church is because they're they the relationship that has been formed is the church gives and i receive and it takes so much work and effort it's so rare there are those stories and they get highlighted of the person that makes the transition and they become hmm. on the even plane and then they actually also become a giver. Uh, and, and so I think there's some of that is is how we treat people and 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 that that is a way that we can that we can be generous while keeping people in the margins, if that makes sense. You know, so I'm gonna do this nice thing hmm. and I'm not you know where where and it, it I'm not so I'm not I'm not downing all programs like that. I think yeah. there are better ways to do it and yeah. go about things. Um, but really, it's about having some kind of personal interaction. Yeah. And 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 reaching out and touching somebody in their life and finding out what's going on and what they need and and building rapport so that that can even happen. Yeah. Right. Because um, there's a lot of distrust either way. You know. Um, I don't know. So, so that's yeah. that's one side of it. But then on the other side, I think we just need to pray for wisdom because, you know, there's there's a, an element of you know how often should you forgive somebody seven times seventy? You know, it's just like our forgiveness should not end. But that doesn't mean that like you can think of those situations. I, I think of you know talking about counseling stuff, and I think of that book Boundaries. In one of the cases they give, they give this example of. Uh, parents, I believe that their son had a drug problem, and they just every time he was down and out, they rescued him. And and so really, they're talking about like they they felt like that that has got to be the one of the hardest things in the world to do. Like if your child is struggling with something, to not rescue them because it seems so unloving mm-hmm. right. to, to at some point cut them off and say we can't do it because we're enabling you. Every time you do this, if we bring you back into the house and set you back up and get you back going, and then you and then you use that kindness and get back to yeah. this, that's enabling you. So we really just need to shut this off. And, and so, it seems like it's not love, but at sometimes that's the most loving thing you mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. That you, I can't make that as a blanket statement, right? Yeah. That if you're if you've got a with a drug drug problem because I've heard success stories both ways success stories where the, the family said no we're cutting you off we were having this intervention if you don't change you know and that person that they stick to it and change happens and you see it where change happens because the family was kind and compassionate and and they kept bringing them back even though they kept yeah. getting burned they kept Showing love and, and then that's their te- the person's testimony. I changed because my, they never gave up. On yeah. me. You know, and so yeah, I, I think it that that is what is so hard about this is it'd be great if we could get on a podcast and just say, all right, people, we figured do. it out. <laughs> like here's the answer. Here's how when you get in this situation, here's what you do. And it's just 
it's so it's complex and it's messy, and and we're and we're you're gonna mess up, like yeah. you know. And the, it, is it fair to a, say? Um, while that piece is what Jesus is calling us into in wisdom, to, to, to learn through engagement with the Spirit and through relationship how we should minister to somebody and, and determine whether there are proper boundaries that are determined or not, um, there's a distinction between that, engaging that way, and being at the place where I think we're always called to be, which is to say, very authentically, there is a place for you here. Is that... Is that a fair way of, of, of wrapping that together in a sense. You know, we're, we're an open place. We're truly an inclusive place. We're, we're not going to be exclusive. I mean, that, that seems to be what James is urging. Don't play favoritism. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. This is, a, this is an open place and everyone belongs. There, there are no margins here in that sense. Right. As, as a church. Yes, like that's as who a church. we would be. Yeah, and, and then and just to think about what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what does it mean to be a member of a church? Because I know, like, I've had it happen to me just because I was a minister that like, you go you go out to the mall and, I don't know, do they still have malls? They don't have malls. <laughs> I haven't been to a mall in a while, no. <laughs> you see somebody from the yeah. church and they're with a friend and they're like, oh, this is this is Rob. And it's like not, you know... And you get disowned, essentially. Like, sure. the, I mean, they own the relationship that you're somebody that they know. Maybe because you went up to them, but the, but all of a sudden you just feel like this person is embarrassed about who I am, and hmm. and and as so, I, I think there's definitely layers to it. So the first layer is certainly Sunday morning or whenever you gather together. You want that definitely to be an atmosphere of, of friendliness and kindness. But I think a lot of churches are friendly, but not friends. They're brotherly, but they're not brothers. Yeah. Right? And, and so yeah. that is where the rubber really hits the road is, all right, we can all play nice on Sunday morning when we come together to worship yeah. God. Great. But what, what happens next? Yeah. Right? And, right. and that, that's the convicting part. Mm. Because um, if we kind of come and then we then we leave and then then we all just call on our friends and say hey let's form a small group because I like you and you like me and we have fun together then where are all the people that aren't fun <laughs> where do they fit in you know and aren't like me so if you're not like me and you're not fun and you're not whatever like then hmm. and that happens that's good yeah Man, that's really really some helpful stuff Rob I appreciate. You sharing on that. I think before we move on, I do want to circle back to kind of the second part yeah. of the question that Paul had asked and just dive into that again. It's just is why, you know, we, we kind of looked at maybe what what it is in us that makes us marginalized people, of why we avoid those people. But why why do you think Jesus was so drawn to those people and wants us to be as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, because we're so drawn to the other group, you know, like, and, and because Jesus is our perfect example, you know, I, I think that a, a lot of it is just about that, is, is to kind of showing us the way, right? Like, mm -hmm. like he's, he's got to go and, and show the, because, say, like the Samaritan woman at the well, 
And, and I, because we do this, like, um, if you get into, if you, if you start diving deep into anything discipleship right now, and you're eventually going to hit an, this idea, this principle of the person of peace, right? right. Yep. And, and so that's um, Luke 10, right? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus sends out the 70 or 72, and he says, go find somebody. And, uh, you know, when, when you get to a particular town, just stay in the one place. And this is what we're calling the person of peace. Now, in modern, modern day teachers are going to unwrap this thing. It's like, okay, this is a person that has got connections in the city and like knows people and they're going to be influential. So that essentially saying like, if you can convert them, make a disciple of them, they're going to go through. They're going to right. they'll open the right. doors. Now, I think that kind of puts a certain, a certain bet on who, who that person would be. And our standard right. in 2022 in the United States of America, where when we think of like that person that's going to have influence and whatever, we we get a different a picture in our mind. Jesus goes in touch with the Samaritan woman, like she was his person of peace, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, get uh, get me some water, yeah, good. <laughs> you know. And that that was that was the initiation. I think things like that happened from Jesus, but then also. His disciples learned that from him, and and we see it in in Acts, and, and and God institutes it in other ways. So you see in Acts, where we we did a Bible study not too long ago. I think we looked at Acts sixteen, right? Because uh, Paul preached about uh, the the jailer, yeah, right? The, the Philippian, Philippian jailer. jailer, and so in in Philippi, the first converts in Philippi uh, were the Philippian jailer, the um, the servant girl, right, and and Lydia. So a woman, mm-hmm. a slave, and a Roman, or you know, a a Gentile. Yeah. Uh, you know, so earlier on in the Book of Acts, we see one of the early converts is the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. right. Yeah. All right. So talk about like we get hung up on gender issues today. They they probably had similar questions back in the first century. And so here's this guy who's, uh, for all intents and purposes, made to be like a woman, right? And and yet a, a big point is made in the book of Acts, not just to tell that story, but to get that person the truth about Jesus, right? And to tell the story of how they come. So one of the first converts we see to Christianity was a man who wasn't really a man, right? And so so I think those things are out there and they're told to us. And, and, and Jesus lived that way to, to prove that point. His kingdom was an upside down kingdom, right? Like the first will be last and the last will be first. And so you look out at this world and, you know, and, and, his, and his brother James then, it, not just in chapter two, says about like, okay, look, a, a rich man and a poor man, you know, somebody well-dressed or not well-dressed come in among you. How, how do you treat them? But he also talks earlier about about specifically about the poor and like that that God, you know that that they're honored, right, and that that right. that they have an yep. opportunity to even be more spiritual than mm-hmm. than the rich person. Jesus talks so because I think it's just the way of society. It's how we'll always be. We're going to honor the rich and the powerful, the wise. We're gonna we're gonna lift those people up. We're gonna run after those people. We're gonna try to impress those people. Mm-hmm. We want those people to be in our groups and in our churches. And so Jesus went out and he's like, I'm going to call 12 disciples to follow me. 
and they're going to be all people who were rejects from other rabbis. Yeah. You know, like, and then I'm going to go out and the people that are the haves, I'm going to kind of bust their chops a little bit. And he even says that specifically. Uh, and this is another verse like that, that flows with the whole thing. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. talking too much here, but, no, um, good. you know, it's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so if Jesus right. is the great physician, this was his role that he's called on by God. Yeah. And these are the people that made excuses. They all had other things to do. And those are the people in our lives that we might keep trying and keep trying. I keep inviting them to church. And I'm not saying to give up on them, but just to say they're, they've made their excuse and there's somebody else that God has put in your life that you don't even see that he's like, will you, will you please now go into the streets and the alleys? Will you shake the bushes? Will you invite the people that that mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. inviting? Mm-hmm. And and it's just, and I, I, to, I told you guys about my church planting story. That was not just, we read Luke 14 and I was cured. Like, I still have that disease. Right? Like, because yeah. I remember a year into it, and like I, I was keeping a journal, and a year into it, I look back at like my notes and like my journal writing, and just be like, oh my goodness, like I was so convicted then, and we changed some things, but it's just so easy for me to go right. out in public and to just start judging people, and to go back into that mode of who do I want to do church with, who do I want to, you know, uh, and I, and I still yep. struggle with it today. It's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. That's my long answer. <laughs> it's really good. So we have, I think it's been a really good conversation today. Yeah, and a challenging one for sure. For sure. And we talked about what, who, who these marginalized people are mm-hmm. in, our, in our own lives, in our own world. We've kind of talked about why we tend to avoid those folks. And then we've talked about Jesus' heart for them. So I guess now as we come towards the close... Our podcast is called Practice Makes Faithful. Thankfully, it's not Practice Makes Perfect <laughs> yes. because we none of us are perfect at this. Right. We'll be overselling things a little. Right. Yeah. But what 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 does it look like for us to be faithful? For us to practice this? To practice caring for these people? Good good question. I think I'm I'm a huge fan of baby steps. I mean, if you're ready to take a big leap, then take a big big take it. But look in the church, and I, I know that this is what we do. We, we do that. We judge people, and we think, like, they're not like me. And so, like, not everybody does this, but some people think they, they probably don't want to talk to me. Mm. And, and so mm. it's, it's, not, it's not all, like, selfish and, like, oh, I don't want to deal with that person. Sometimes it's, it's some um, self-abasement or, you know, it's like, insecurity, insecurity yeah. yeah. And, and you're like, they probably don't want to talk to me. So I would say if we want to practice, we can practice every Sunday and find somebody who's just not like you and strike up a conversation mm-hmm. with them. And if you go into most churches in the United States, most churches, find people who are single, just single on their own or single because they've been divorced, and I guarantee you, they feel like second-class citizens. Now, I don't know. Maybe you can <laughs> disagree with me. But, but uh, I think for, for the most part, there's a feeling of being a second-class citizen because the church exalts the family, right? If you're, if you're yeah, married true. and you've got a family, well, look, we've got all these special things for married people and families. 
Now, some churches have singles programs or you know things like that, and, and that's good. But a lot of places I've been in... With the goal to get you not single, right? Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. We feel so bad yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's divorce. Yeah. There's a huge stigma put on right. divorce. Uh, there's a huge stigma put on mental illness. And, and it's the way that we talk. It's the way that we talk about things. And, and I think that we need to... Uh, like, are you guys familiar with the term microaggression? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you don't know what that is, look it up. But it's, you know, it's it's little things that we can say. You know, and in in the church world, we can say things like, "Oh, I'm glad I didn't grow up like that." You know, and uh, you know these people. Oh, yeah, they they had sex before they got married. Blah, blah, blah. Well, there's a good chance that someone standing in that circle with you falls into that category, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, abortion. Mm-hmm. The numbers are like one in six women have had an abortion. That's outside of the church and inside of the church. So if you start talking negatively about, I'm not saying you can't have your views on abortion, but if you start just talking about it like that, chances are you just alienated somebody because they had an abortion and now you you kind of micro-aggressively judge them and kind of cast them out. We do, we're not going to know all of those things, but we can start to practice by just understanding, like, you know, there's the people that we kind of see and hang out with at church. We'll probably be able to see them and hang out with them outside of Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So every Sunday, try to have one conversation with somebody that's not like you. And you can even be, you can be obvious about it. Say, hey, I was listening to the podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to become faithful in this, and you're just you know, like, here's you know, you've you've got pink hair, or, you know, you're really tall, and you know, or whatever it might be, uh, and and just if we can start and practice with each other, then it'll become easier to do it outside of these walls. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I think that's a really good challenge for us to. Uh, to, to actually take a step in practice towards building a relationship with someone that might not on the surface look like us or we might judge doesn't think like us or mm-hmm. comes from a different background than we do, uh, cultural diversity, whatever it happens to be, uh, to actually take a step toward building a relationship with someone like that. I really do think, you know, that is that is the answer. I remember when we were, uh, you know, a couple summers ago when... Uh, when, when uh, racial tensions were so high, um, you know, that was one of the steps given there <clears throat> to say, okay, build a relationship because a relationship is a bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a bridge that we can then walk across to each other. Uh, certainly within the church, that's got to be incredibly important. And I think, you know, Jesus wanted for his church to be that. Paul calls the church a body. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, so we are supposed to be that community, as you talked about, the upside-down kingdom. I love that uh, that. that terminology and the pictures that that brings to mind. Mm-hmm. So well, I'll th- say first, thanks to Rob again for joining us this week. And thanks to all of you who've been listening uh, for joining us as well. Uh, want to say, as we, as we do at the end of every podcast, if you'd like to reach out to us uh, with either a question or a comment, you can send us an email at practicemakesfaithful at gmail.com. We love your thoughts, your feedback, uh, of course, your encouragement as well. Uh, also like to invite you to, to leave a rating or review, which is, uh, which is definitely helpful for us on our podcast platforms. And of course, as you walk through life and as you follow Jesus, I do want to remind you that it's practice makes faithful, not practice <laughs> makes perfect. That is practice makes faithful. Uh, so go live out in faithful practice uh, what it is that you've heard today and what Jesus is calling you into. Until next week, God bless you.